Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Why did we start recording when we did? We just did five tight minutes about Sorkin television shows that I feel like would have killed. We didn't capture that. We didn't monetize it. We did nothing with that. That one was for us. (laughs) You know, we were just clearing the mechanism Yeah. so that only our best stuff... Hits these mics. What the fuck? Can you hear that? My air conditioner just started making a weird noise. I can barely... I can barely hear that over my own air conditioner, Ben. (laughs) Which Wendy has promised us she can edit out. Yeah, I'm guessing that this one's not edit-outable. Oh, no. Okay, do we need to hit a pause? I... Stop the air conditioner and it's still making a weird noise. You want to take a moment to investigate? Actually, this is great pod. I don't know what to do. I could go get a ladder and go up there and whack it. I can't hear it. It sounds really bad, man. (laughs) Fuck! All right, let's pause it. Let's let you figure this out. Okay. Ben, I watched you climb up on that ladder, and uh, I don't know what you did up there because it was out of frame. Mm -hmm. None of the friends of DeSoto could see anything more than knees down on you. What'd you do? I pushed buttons randomly on the remote to the air conditioner until the weird noise stopped happening. That's it? Yeah, that's all it took. Wow. There wasn't a cat stuck in there or anything? Uh, No, it really sounded like the air conditioning unit was like maybe full of water and it was about to dump like a torrent into my studio space. It was really burbling away in a way that was upsetting. You've got one of those air conditioners that's like uh, up on your wall. Yeah, I have a mini split unit, it is called. Now when your mini split is making weird noises, (laughs) you're going to want to climb a ladder to drain the water. As a homeowner, you're going to want to put a yearly reminder in your calendar app telling you to have a certified HVAC technician come out and inspect your system. And when that notification comes up, you're going to want to ignore it on an annual basis. (laughs) God, I've got so many of those in my calendar. (laughs) Replace the air filters. (laughs) Empty this trap. Clean this filter. Yeah. And all of it, I skip... Every time. Yeah, I don't need to do that shit. Do you need to empty a mini split? Tell me about that, because we've got one of those. uh, We don't have mini splits. We just got the one box on roof uh, going through ducting. I guess that's kind of what we have in in the house. This one's one that I had put in when we moved here so that I could survive working out in this office. Yeah. And I actually don't have to turn it on very often because the building stays quite cool in the summer. But uh, in the winter, I have to turn it on for heat because it mm. gets it gets quite cold out here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as far as I can tell, it's just got a little like air filter mesh in it. And I like very, very occasionally will get up on a ladder and pull that thing out and like brush it off with a hand broom, you know? Sure. 
90% of all homeowner injuries involve a ladder. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm kind of banking on. Oh, yeah. You you think there's any uh, injury leave at Uxbridge Shimoda? No. I don't think so, bub. There's not. How about new? I was uh, climbing a ladder during the L.A. hurricane so I could get on my roof and clear out all the gutters. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about that statistic the whole time. <laughs> oh, man. And were you watertight during the great L.A. windstorm of 2023? I was, as as viciously as I get roasted by my friends in New York about it having rained a bit in L.A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> how are you doing, buddy? Oh, getting ready to uh, get on an airplane with you tomorrow. Yeah. You know, behind the pod, this is the day before we leave for our big tour, and... Uh, This is as good as it's going to get, right? (laughs) Optimism is at an all-time high. Yeah, that's what we call this. Excited to get out there and see Friends of DeSoto. I am very excited. I mean, it's kind of a The Wine Show tour. It is, Because we're playing a lot of wineries this time. Our friend and agent got us booked in at least half a dozen wineries around the country. So He saw the writing on the wall. He saw how much we were spending backstage on our writer for alcohol he's like Mm -hmm. well if you just do shows in wineries like (laughs) a wine bottle in in the back is basically free to them yeah yeah exactly so this is great for the bottom line (laughs) yeah i'm super excited about it and uh by the time this episode comes out i guess uh the reviews will be in did it suck or did it rule i think it's gonna rule i've got a lot of funny jokes pre-written that I will forget about. (laughs) I got a lot of uh, quippy observations I hope make you laugh. Oh, man. I can't wait. I have a lot of love to give the Friends of DeSoto in the meet and greets before a lot of these shows. So it's going to be great. It is. I'm looking forward to that, but I'm also really looking forward to talking about this very weird episode of Star Trek Voyager. (laughs) I'm shocked to be back at Fairhaven, Ben. I am as well, and uh, we smash back into it right at the beginning of this episode. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, Ben. It's uh, Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 17. Spirit Folk! Rebirth course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. (laughs) We start with Ensign Paris on like a Stanley steamer, absolutely raging through Fairhaven. He's going to get somebody killed at him. You can't drive a horseless carriage through town? They don't have traffic signals here. You're going to kill somebody. Do you ever think about how if you were you except in horsey times Mm -hmm. and like the advent of, of the horseless carriage was upon you? Yeah. How much more uncomfortable a car was than a horse? (laughs) You know, like, Absolutely no shock absorption. Like a saddle is more comfortable than riding on that fucking bench on top of those wheels and tires, right? And he's got that like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck energy the entire time he's driving it, you know? You never have that energy riding a horse, especially on roads made for horses. Yeah. You're just like, ah, nice. Yeah. Horse hangs. Every serious rider has their own saddle and... Boy, oh boy, am I glad I borrowed Ben's. <laughs> he just barely avoids killing people and dogs here. I don't think enough is made of that. Yeah. 
He runs into Seamus and wait with his car. <laughs> <laughs> he runs into barrels with his car and Seamus with his person. Uh huh. Seamus is up to his old tricks again. All oh, come into some money, did ya? What the hell is wrong with you people? Yeah, Seamus is talking about how like. Up there uh, at Castle Odell, there's been some word of hauntings. Mm. The queen of the fairy folk takes that place over at nighttime. And I was confused because I thought that the whole point of Fairhaven was that there was no mystical bullshit in it. I know. I was so disappointed. I was disappointed too, but then I realized like it's just that Seamus is a fool. There isn't actually a, a queen of the fairy people in the game. It's that a character in the game believes that there's a queen of the fairy people. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) This is literally the first time I'm considering Seamus being a fool because I just like Richard Real. Yeah, Richard Real is great. And I don't want to believe that for him, but I think you're right. I don't want to. God damn it. He is a fool. (laughs) He's a total fool. And he's got his hand out because Paris is explaining the vehicle he just crashed. And Seamus is like, boy, must be nice. Doing that backhanded compliment thing. Must be nice. Having a horseless carriage. And uh, Paris makes up some bullshit about inheritance money yeah. being the reason he can afford it. This is back in, you know, the 20s or something when it wasn't considered weird to have indescribable wealth in the face of others' poverty. So yeah. pa- Paris is unembarrassed by this and hands out the the shillings that Seamus is going to need to go drink a bunch of beers. Is Seamus unaware of the condolence and shilling economy here? I I don't believe he offers his condolences in exchange (laughs) for those shillings. (laughs) Wasn't he going to like go drink and like think about uh, the the bereaved aristocrat or whatever? You don't have to buy my condolences. Oh, wow. I I think Seamus is kind of shitty here for that. Mm. He's worse than a fool. He's an asshole. Well, he might not be such a fool because when he walks away and Paris asks the computer to replace the busted wheel on his horseless carriage, Seamus notices this and uh, has kind of a religious experience noticing it. Yeah. H preservers. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I'd first be filled with jealousy. My car is in the body shop right now because I got hit by another vehicle recently in a non-serious accident. If I could have just asked the computer to buff out that spot, that would have been great. But this is Seamus' first time seeing a horseless carriage. Is there a chance that he just believes that's how they work? (laughs) You just ask for what you want? Yeah. (laughs) These things are like 50% a stupendous advancement in technology, 50% a evil pact with the fairy people. I know. I know. After the theme... Seamus cannot resist holding court at the bar, telling folks about what he saw with Paris's unnatural powers. Yeah. I was a little distracted because prominently featured in this scene is Mr. Pitt. Yeah. Mutton chopping it up and feeling genuinely resentful of the way Tom Paris stomps around Fairhaven like he invented it. Am I making any sense here? Some actors you can't do this with, but Mr. Pitt's face is always foreground. Did you notice that this episode? (laughs) And not only foreground, like in a two shot, he is very close up. (laughs) 
It's he just great. has a face for close-ups. Yeah, he sure does. And he's really chewing the edge of the frame all the way through this episode. Yeah. So there's this kind of like meeting of the of the old-timey town folk, including Seamus and Mr. Pitt and uh, Sullivan, the love interest of Katie Eau Claire. And Sullivan is sort of arguing for the like, hey, like these new people that come to town now are cool. I'm like, let's not be weird and superstitious. But everybody else is talking about the legend of Kilmanon in County May. And Kilmanon is a town that apparently got kind of like overrun by and then completely fucked up by spirit folk. Is Kilmanon a real place? Because it's got a great name for movies and TV, right? You won't find it on any map. Not anymore. I mean, what did they expect? How do you not get all of your men and killed? That's what I'm saying. In a town like that. How do you not go into bankruptcy as a uh, deodorant production line <laughs> setting up shop and kill Manon? <laughs> You're supposed to be by Manon, not kill Manon. So you had to, had to further articulate the joke to make sure it hits. Mm-hmm. You went A to E. <laughs> I got to get in the habit of that before going out on tour. I guess so. So Sullivan is very pro Katie, and Katie O'Claire actually shows up in the midst of this rabble. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really read the room. No. No, and Michael Sullivan does that thing where he's in the middle of being the alpha in town, and he just... Goes back behind the bar. What will it be? The usual, please. Pours Katie Eau Claire a mug of vegetable broth, and uh, they have their own time off to the side. Yeah. And this is like their usual banter that they're having. And the thing about this moment is you have to wonder, looking at Sullivan's face, whether or not he's a believer in Seamus's theories, right? Yeah. He's... Definitely put up the biggest resistance to any of these theories of anyone in the town, including the doctor, but it seems like he's entertaining them nonetheless. What this scene does crucially is establish that he is an okay liar. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to need to lie a lot this episode, and it starts here. He shouldn't be playing rings with her. He should be playing poker. Yeah. Yeah. We cut over to Voyager. Speaking of rings... Harry Kim is making lilies in the mess hall replicator. I think you got to be careful where you're replicating your stuff. Yeah. Because when you replicate shit in the mess hall, I think you kind of deserve the attention you get, right? Tom Paris comes over and starts roasting Harry for the fact that he is using replicator rations to mac on a holographic babe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, seems, that seems like a bad use of resources all the way around. Is a holodeck date really yours or not at all yours <laughs> as a dating companion? I don't know. Thought a lot about this. Like, what exactly is Paris's angle here? That he's using real money to spend on a fake person or that he's spending real money on a fake person that also a lot of other people in the crew might be banging at the same time? These country girls aren't as simple as you think. Maggie O'Halloran could be a little more than you can handle. Hard to know. And does it matter that they're, like, if you're playing Skyrim and I'm playing Skyrim, you can kill the dragon end boss, and so can I, and it's not like we killed the same dragon. Right. 
But this is a MMORPG, though. <laughs> and it's only happening the one time, right? Yeah. For everyone. I guess so. Maybe like they do group stuff in the holodeck as a crew. I don't know. I think the captain's only playing ring toss with Michael Sullivan, and Michael Sullivan's only playing ring toss with her. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like a velvet rope around Michael Sullivan, but every, everybody else in the program's fair game. Computer, make <laughs> velvet pubes around Michael <laughs> Sullivan's genitals. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you, and you have just crossed the line. BLT is stressed about this holodeck program running round the clock. She thinks it's an accident waiting to happen. And it's also like adding to her maintenance schedule because of all the cycles it's taking. I love how she never participates in this program. She's not a culture tourist. No. She doesn't give a shit about Fairhaven. There's nothing in it for her. Does blowing out hollow emitters go hand in hand with blowing out packs? Is that what's going on here? (laughs) God, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's definitely not the thing that... Harry Kim is thinking about blowing out in this scene, right? No. He's got a hot date that night. He does, and uh, we catch up with him on that date through the eyes of Tom Paris, who's like sneaking around in After Dark Fairhaven, watching him. Tommy! How's the peeping? Seamus and Mr. Pitt are sneaking around watching Tom Paris. Who watches The Watcher, Adam? (laughs) That's a question on my mind. Classic Star Trek episode, this episode for that reason, right? <laughs> in all the ways that matter, we are alike. Yeah. Tom Paris is in some sort of lookout bunker. Yeah, yeah. With some binoculars. In the duck blind of hiding behind a wagon full of hay mm. when he pushes a button and turns Maggie into a dairy cow right as Harry Kim was about to give her a big kiss. So I think we can agree that Paris was a little early with hitting the button, right? Because how much more fun would it have been to transform Maggie into a cow much, much later? <laughs> like after they get home, uh-huh. as they're walking up the stairs, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be funny. Walking up the stairs? What do you mean? What about if uh, if Harry had gone downtown? That would be a funny moment. <laughs> Like, there's just some classic first date face-sitting happening here. Yeah. And Harry Kim gets absolutely crushed (laughs) under a dairy cow in the process. It's actually really cool. This is an animatronic cow that they made. You know, actor safety. They didn't want to put Garrett Wong right next to a real cow. You get it. And uh, Garrett Wong actually did acquire this animatronic in one of those prop auctions after, uh, after it was on the show. Wow. They only had to make the cow pelvis, huh? (laughs) For that unfilmed scene. He was stating the obvious again. So uh, needless to say, Mr. Pitt and Seamus see this and go real big with their reactions. Yeah. Holy mother of God. We smash cut to church where the EMH is... It's like a weird vibe in the church because EMH is... Preaching neighborly love, but in a very, like, fire and brimstone tone of voice. What these sinners have forgotten is that they are neighbors. You gotta understand why the doctor loves being the priest. It's because 
no one listens to him on Voyager about anything anyway. Yeah. Finally, he has the bully pulpit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In walks Seamus and Mr. Pitt and Maggie O'Calloran. <laughs> and the question I had in this scene, Ben, is do you think Maggie O'Calloran thinks it's Maggie O'Halloran? Or do you think Maggie O'Halloran transformed into a cow that contains none of her sentience? Oh, man. Is there any of her in that cow? Because I don't think it, that's made clear later. Like, later on, she's like, oh, I was in a weird dream and I, that I barely remember. I mean, she's also a holodeck program, so I suppose the real question is, who gives a shit? <laughs> that's the main question. <laughs> that kind of runs through this whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> this is truly Brian Fuller at, his, at the height of his powers. <laughs> Did this happen a lot in, in Pushing Daisies or whatever his, uh, his hit show was? I don't know. I never watched it. A lot of cow transforms. Yeah. So they're like telling the story of how they saw Harry Kim about to lay one on Maggie O'Halloran. And then suddenly instead of Maggie O'Halloran, there was Maggie O'Calloran. And the EMH is uh, standing up there at the pulpit trying to explain that uh, Tom Paris is a great big prankster and this is probably just some sleight of hand that they misinterpreted. Doc, are you telling me Tom Paris transformed Maggie O'Halloran into a dairy cow? (laughs) Well, I thought he should do it with a little bit of class. (laughs) When you milk these udders at 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious froth. <laughs> the doc kind of plays this off. He's like, when did you see this exactly? And uh, Seamus and Mr. Pitt are like, last night. And the doc's like, well, I saw Maggie this morning after this suspected transformation. Yeah. So leave the cow is what I'm saying at the end of this scene. Leave it with me for reasons unexplained. I was sort of surprised it didn't also say, like, and you two are, like, the drunkest guys in town by a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no one really considers the source, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe he's being more empathetic to their plight because they are also hollow projections, much like him. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what's going on. Anyways, Maggie reappears just as they're coming around the corner on their way back from church, and... She tells her tale of woe to these two bozos, and she's very disoriented because she feels like she just woke up from a dream. She was on the cover of Bovine magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Salt and pepper and flank steak. (laughs) Up in the cooking section. (laughs) Yeah. Who hasn't had a, uh, a weird situation inside a church they barely remember? Yeah. So we cut back over to Sullivan's Pub, which is where everybody gathers to trade superstitious yarns. And uh, this group of people, this group of rubes, begin to conspire against the Voyager crew, who they interpret as just like the new people around town. You know what I don't like? Seamus claiming Maggie's story at the bar while Maggie is sitting at the bar. 
I hated that. She's right there. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But the townspeople don't like the weird shit they've been seeing around for a while, too. Like, all the injuries that may or may not have happened, the disappearances and reappearances. Uh, Neelix. (laughs) Oh, hell, if he doesn't look like a leprechaun, I don't know who does. And Michael Sullivan, again, takes the other side of things. He's not going to hear any of it. These are their friends. They're not the devils. Well, he's also like a business owner. So he's like, there's like a bunch of new people. Like, this is good for the economy overall. They're spending money in here. Who's going to throw rings at his junk if Katie O'Claire is the devil? Yeah. Suddenly I don't have a wife and I know lots about books. Nobody <laughs> around here wants to fuck me anymore. Yeah. These velvet pubes aren't going to need to keep anyone out. <laughs> no one's going to be interested. Yeah. Pretty soon they're going to be full of cobwebs. Oh, I miss my wife. That night, uh, Katie O'Claire visits Michael Sullivan at the two top that he reserved for them. At his very unpopular bar. (laughs) And it's there that he gives her a book. And then, this has never happened to me. I always get the we need to talk without gifts. But he does a neat variation of this. Mm -hmm. He does a we need to talk with a gift. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is, is the book that he gives her. It's like the shit sandwich of, uh, of notes on a creative project. Like, we're really liking the direction of this. We have some ideas about ways to improve it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, I like you a lot, uh, so much so that I got you this book. Also... You've been lying to me, Katie. I have some concerns. I've been doing some checking with friends of mine in County Clare. Seems nobody's heard of you there. You know what's great about Kate Mulgrew's performance and Janeway's character in general throughout all of this is like you never get a whiff of, oh, that's cute. <laughs> like in the face of of a programmed idiot, you know? Right. Like she likes and is attracted to Michael O'Sullivan. But when Michael O'Sullivan ever has agency at her, she never dismisses it. Like she takes him seriously throughout in I think a good way. Yeah, I think that um, playing D&D a little bit lately has made me think of the Fairhaven program or any of the other programs they run on Voyager specifically as being kind of similar types of, it's like a game that doesn't have an end, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's no end boss to beat and then you did the game. You ruin your own game by not taking it seriously, right? Right. So she stays in character when she's talking to Sullivan as Katie O'Claire. And when he starts saying like, yeah, weird stuff's going on. And everybody in town is kind of worried that you guys might be spirit folk. And uh, yeah, like, so there's a bit of a conspiracy going on. You know, I've been kind of advocating for a civilized approach to us responding to the potential that you guys are spirit folk, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you know that. He takes a really interesting, like, in-world angle at her when he's like, you know, sometimes I'd like to see you off schedule. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't find you. (laughs) You're never around. Nobody's invented the telephone yet. (laughs) I have no one to ask you up. (laughs) you up haggis emoji (laughs) bagpipe emoji droplets emoji so surprised is Janeway in this scene that she just has to end the program 
And uh, just across the room, Chicote stubs his dick on the hologrid. Computer end program. <laughs> Are you suggesting that he was in the corner and the shadows watching this? Because he's got to get something out of this program too, right? He was somewhere else in town, yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, you were in here too. That's what she says. You should have hung a gym sock on the door. <laughs> but this is a starship, so there are no door handles. Nor are there gym sacks. <laughs> I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that latinum. No, I think we've just drunk gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. 
stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back in the actual Voyager, the non-holodeck part of Voyager, Janeway asks Paris, why Michael Sullivan is asking so many questions all of a sudden. Yeah. What exactly did you do to that program? And Paris only admits to making characters more interesting and no other details. <laughs> he is pretty vague about what he's done to modify the program post-rebuild. They get down to engineering and get some bad news from BLT and Ensign Kim, who have... Uh, been looking at the at the data surrounding running this program nonstop, and uh, it's damaged the program, Adam. Yeah, yeah. And Janeway is like, okay, seems easy enough. Shut down the program for repairs. Yeah, turn it off. Pull the cartridge out. Blow through your T-shirt into the cartridge. Yeah. Put the cartridge back in. <laughs> we return in the next scene to a location we've seen just the one time before. This is the Holodeck Control Lab. Yeah. Where Kim and Paris are working on these repairs. And when they get Michael Sullivan up on, what's the thing when you go to a tailor shop and like have your your pants pinned or whatever, like the little, <laughs> the little platform? Oh, yeah. They got Michael Sullivan up there and he goes absolutely crazy. Yeah. And they're like, hey, do you want a uh, single stitch or a double stitch? That double stitch is the nicest, strongest stitch. <laughs> Why on earth would I want a double stitch? They hit a few buttons and hey, Michael feels great again. Yeah. That's awesome. His obliviousness algorithm has been deactivated somehow. Yeah. I was so fucking jealous of, of him having obliviousness algorithms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. But they're doing that thing with the camera moves where they're like, they're like staying on Michael Sullivan a couple seconds longer than you ordinarily would. Mm -hmm. You can tell. You can tell he's just going along with it. Yeah. He's not as oblivious as he's acting. No. I'll tell you that much. Nope. Kim and Paris agree that their patch is going to work. And rather than just going character by character, making these changes, they're like, let's globally make the changes across all of the characters and call it good. And they're pretty inartful about how they roll out this plan. They do it right in front of Sullivan, very trusting that, in fact, he is as oblivious as he claims to be. I thought for sure. Like, the Lower Decks version of this episode goes like, Kim and Paris upload the patch to all the other characters, and now every holodeck character in Fairhaven wants to fuck Janeway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this program. <laughs> and mostly, I love that no one else on the crew loves this program anymore. <laughs> holodeck 2 is all mine now. <laughs> So Sullivan shows back up in the game and gets like a little boy pushing a hoop with a stick. This fucking dumbass. To uh, gather the townspeople in a church. That's the dumbest kid in any town, right? Hoop and stick oh, yeah. kid. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. I mean, it was really fun when I was a kid. Oh, no, not you. <laughs> Your hoop was an automatic tennis ball serving machine and your <laughs> your stick was a racket. <laughs> you would just push it to the courts. Yeah, yeah. gotta go get my hoop pushing stick restrung. 
So this dumb kid is told to uh, go grab Fitzgerald and bring him to church. Yeah. I don't remember Fitzgerald from the last episode. He's a new guy, right? I think so. He's like the town doctor, I guess. Yeah. Because the EMH is playing the town priest. So if you thought that Michael Sullivan had got one over on Paris and Kim, the next scene disabuses you of that. Because back on the Voyager Bridge, Paris and Kim tell Janeway that, yeah, you know, Michael Sullivan thought he was being sneaky, lying about feeling better, but uh, we know the truth somehow. (laughs) And uh, we got to reprogram him ASAP. And Janeway and Chakotay, meanwhile, are commiserating about her malfunctioning boyfriend. And Chakotay is made to listen to his crush complain about how her boyfriend can't satisfy her at the moment. In that case, you'll have to get creative. And then we like pan down into Chakotay's hands and he's got like a Costco-sized box of Dixon Ticonderoga pencils (laughs) that he busts like a fucking phone book (laughs) over his knee. I mean, given the number of times he's snapped his pencil in the holodeck when people suddenly shut the program off. You know what you're doing, Janeway. This isn't nice. Yeah, it's really brutal. Chakotay, though, I feel like does a fun bit of fighting back here because for Chakotay to tell Janeway to tell the hollow person the truth, that feels like a manipulation too, right? Like what? It does. Let's just see what happens when you tell him the truth. <laughs> That's the right thing, right? Yeah. Tell this old-timey person the truth about being a starship captain. You'll feel better. Take a swing at it. See what happens. Yeah. I'm on Chakotay's side here. I like the idea. As you too. Um, So we catch up with Sullivan and the doctor in the church where they're having a, like, it's got the sort of tone of a confessional. They're having this kind of heart-to-heart about, like, what happened to Sullivan? Like, was he in some sort of afterlife or spirit world when he showed up in the in the lab? What were these guys talking about? What do they mean when they're talking about doing what they did to him to the rest of the town? Yeah. They're freaked, man. Like, I'm not currently attracted to Katie O'Claire. Does it mean I'm going to be made to be attracted to her? <laughs> Are we all? Even Maggie O'Calloran? I'm not sure what they have in mind. But we better be prepared. Do my weird memories of having had a wife have some basis in reality? <laughs> they don't have any answers to these questions, but they do know one fact, and that is tonight at the pub, Paris and Kim plan on going in there and changing something about the town. And we smash cut to the inside of the pub where Paris and Kim are showing up with, you know, they're like holding. <laughs> like whale oil lanterns as they snoop about. And I guess there's just like a panel behind a wall in the pub that they're trying to get at so that they can, like it seems like something you should be able to change from outside the holodeck, but they have to be inside the holodeck to change something about the program. When did it become Star Trek canon that these panels had to exist in world in like the secret (laughs) rock that you hide your key in? (laughs) At some point that changed because it always used to be you had to ask the computer to show you the arch or something. Yeah. And then that's how you do stuff. It doesn't seem like they have an arch on the Voyager. No, I miss that arch. Yeah, I do too. Instead, there is no arch. There's only panel. And (laughs) they are messing with the panel while the townsfolk are 
getting their guns and shit together, preparing to uh, to battle the Voyager crew. And they realize they need something a little bit more powerful than just muskets. I mean, I guess the big red net doesn't qualify in terms of firepower, but I do like the non-lethal options here, yeah. including uh, incantations and berries. Ashberries, right. Berries, which have kind of a non-specific power, right? I don't know what those are about. Yeah, like the ashberries just get mentioned and never actually get used. It's real like a Chekhov's ashberry yeah. situation. Yeah. But yeah, the... Uh, the incantation is mightier than the rifle, apparently. Mm. And Seamus does God, we're his... fighting so hard for this title, this episode. <laughs> really good stuff so far. Seamus has a grand call to arms, getting everybody riled up, ready to go. And uh, they set upon Harry and Tom in the pub. They throw this net over them. The red net works. Yeah. This thing works great. I feel like if, if we were standing... At a control panel in a pub and somebody threw a net on us, we'd have that net off us right away, right? Oh, I I wouldn't say that at all. Have you ever had a net thrown on you? Very difficult to escape. <laughs> because the harder you struggle, the more entangled you become. Really? Yes. That's oh. the whole point of net. Did you find like a deer carcass hanging from a tree in the middle of the woods at some point and find this out the hard way. Every time I go to Wisconsin, that happens to me. <laughs> so to escape, they ask the computer to freeze the program, but a couple of fusillades from these guns have gone into the control panel at this point. Mm -hmm. They only succeed in freezing 62% of the program. Which is less than the amount of people in the U.S. who favor stricter gun laws. <laughs> Coincidentally enough. Would it have killed the computer to give them 7% more frozen program? I know. I like the piecemeal action of this. Like the sort yeah, of, it was cool. The sort of workingness of the computer. Yeah. Those safeties going off, though. Real bad news. Yeah. That makes a red net lethal. <laughs> it does. So they hoof it and get out of there, and we see, like, the pitchfork-wielding mob chasing after them through the town streets. And they get grabbed by these fucking townspeople. And when the townspeople grab Paris and Kim, they can't <laughs> break free because two dozen townspeople are made of holodeck. And, and holiday, holiday characters strong. are strong. <laughs> They're everywhere. I don't even know why the scientists make them. If only Paris had access to the horseless carriage, he could wheel it around and uh, and really take out a lot of these folks. Oh, yeah. Like bowling pins. That would have been great. Yeah. Coffee. Black. Coffee. Black. Make it. Make it. Make it yourself. We have a McLaughlin crew. Issue one. I feel like BLT is the only sane character <laughs> the McLaughlin group because she's like yeah so we just need to turn the program off and reset the characters and everybody's like let's not be too rash like it is running itself and the safeties are misfiring but we don't want to reset the characters in the game I do not understand how Janeway can be against BLT's bros before hollows <laughs> sensibility <laughs> and that she actually disagrees with this without laughing like you listen to Janeway's <laughs> comments here and like they sound insane yeah BLT's right like they've got real life people in there in mortal danger and Janeway struggles to 
draw an equivalency between them and a hollow man I'm throwing rings around. <laughs> I mean, like, Tuvok is in the room for this. Yeah. Seven of nine is in the room for this. They should have to go to the fucking sick bay after this with strained eyebrow raising muscles. Yeah, I mean, could Tuvok, like, mind meld Janeway's basement to, like, <laughs> maybe keep it from flooding for a moment? Because she's not acting rationally here. That's not something you do with a work friend. No, definitely not. So the, the plan here that Janeway proposes, as if she'd had this on the launch pad the entire time, is like, you can use pattern enhancers to get Paris and Kim off of the holodeck. And that way, it, that's like a non-destructive way to accomplish their goals without uh, erasing the program that Janeway and only Janeway thinks so highly of. There's coffee in these relationships if we can find another way. So genius of genius plans... Janeway comes up with the idea of sending the doctor in to put these pattern enhancers on Paris and Kim. And the EMH shows up in this murder party where, like, basically everybody in the town has Paris and Kim, like, lashed to chairs and they're getting ready. I mean, it's like it's got kind of uh, like the crucible energy, like they're being accused of being spirit folk or in league with the spirit folk. And Sullivan's like a little bit trying to speak up against mob justice, but not that much. See, we let him go. No! Do you think the episode does enough to put Paris and Kim in the mortal danger that you're supposed to feel like they're in? Because the only discharge of a lethal weapon is at the computer. Mm. But I know I'm going to sound fucked up saying this, but like, I feel like Kim and Paris should be roughed up more in this scene. Like, Neither of them seem particularly afraid. They're quippy and defensive, yeah. but they're not fearful. The scene is light and silly until the EMH shows up and gives his, like, fire and brimstone energy again. Yeah. Sinners! Sinners! All of you. And, you know, scolds them for getting ready to kill people in church. That's not a nice place to kill people. No. You got to kill people in the name of the church. That's how it gets done. <laughs> yeah, they found Paris and Kim's gadgets that they brought to mess with the computer. And they noticed the, uh, the EMH's mobile emitter, which is protecting him from the rules of the game in this context. They didn't find all of Kim and Paris's gadgets that they frequently bring to the holodeck, mm, right? No. No, the butt-slapping paddle <laughs> gadget. Uh, <laughs> remains unaccounted for. Yeah. <laughs> Where the hell did Mr. Pitt go in this scene? Yeah. Cut to him, just getting his ass absolutely paddled. <laughs> Maravilloso. So they hypnotize the doctor, and we find out on the bridge that he's been integrated into the Fairhaven Matrix. I love the science in this scene. It happens so fast, right? Like, when the doctor is using the mobile emitter, he's running off of mobile emitter. Yeah. But like when mobile emitter is off of him, he he has to switch into living in the holodeck and subject to all the holodeck rules. Like this is so efficient as a story beat, but I really liked how this worked. Yeah. Sullivan hears from the doctor that they are on a starship and is like, maybe he's telling the truth. <laughs> 
up on the bridge, they're like worrying about the doctor. And then they're like, oh, cool. Like the mobile emitter's back online. Beam him right to the bridge. And instead of the doctor materializing, it is Sullivan that materializes. Now, there has been a long tradition of starship captains wooing dumbs (laughs) by walking them around the starship and specifically to a viewing window Mm -hmm. to seduce them, right? So that's what I was expecting here. Yeah, Sullivan is partman talking, and (laughs) this is his moment to be wowed. Wooed and wowed. (laughs) What do you think of Chakotay's take here? Because he stands up at the end to like sort of stop whatever this is from happening, but he doesn't really (laughs) say a whole lot. And I kind of figure Chakotay's energy is like, just let her squirm. Like, (laughs) is this more or less embarrassing than pregnant Seska? (laughs) I think it's important that we equalize the shame here (laughs) on the bridge crew. Everyone's had theirs. For all the Chakotay react that we get though, like I really wanted the townspeople react when Sullivan beams out. Like they're the ones that are at the center of this story. Like there's no corresponding cutback to them, yeah? Yeah. And like that would be absolutely mind shattering to them. Like this guy put that thing on his arm and immediately disappeared. Do you think there was ever a moment in this writer's room that they considered Maggie O'Callaghan being beamed to the bridge? (laughs) And then everyone looks back at Harry Kim like, what the fuck, Harry? Harry! Is this your idea of sex? (laughs) (laughs) When you got down with the cow, how long would you say that went? I lasted 22 minutes. How much of the clarinet could you get in there? (laughs) Up to the bell? Yeah, so we cut to the tour around Voyager that Janeway gives Michael Sullivan, and, uh, He does this great thing where he recognizes a bunch of people walking around in the corridors. That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. She's kind of using the H.G. Wells time machine as a mental framework for him to use to understand this. It's a lot easier for him than somebody from a Mintakan level of technology to, to wrap their mind around. What do you think Michael Sullivan's version of the Mintakan scarf is going to be? (laughs) Just a ring, a wooden ring. (laughs) It's draped on the back of her. I mean, it's a wooden post, really. Yeah. (laughs) Kate Mulgrew does that thing with her performance where she looks at his mouth when she talks to him. And I think that is a very standardized screen acting technique to make it seem as though a character is romantically interested in the person they're talking to, right? Like, they don't kiss in this scene, but she does that thing where she's looking at his eyes and his mouth when she talks to him. Yeah, and he goes, me eyes are up here, Katie. (laughs) I don't have velvet pubes around me lips. (laughs) I shaved this morning, or I would. So they're kind of having this conversation when they get warned by Tuvok that a burning at the stake situation is developing in the Mm -hmm. holodeck. And, you know, with the safeties only being somewhat on. 60% on. (laughs) It's pretty concerning. Uh I mean, that's second degree burn minimum, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So they got to go down there. So uh, Katie, O'Claire, and Sullivan show back up in the church and try to talk the rabble down. And it's a very similar, like, this is technology, not magic. It's just similar to magic because it's sufficiently advanced. And we're actually good people who enjoy hanging out in your town. And you need to, like, recognize that all of the things you've cited as, as supernatural acts have actually been good. I love that. I love that part of the argument. Like, even taken in totality, like, broken bone, fixed. Kid in well, saved. Maggie O'Calloran, good. Not a cow anymore, and it was a good bit. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Sullivan proposes peaceful coexistence yeah. from this point forward, and it appears as though the town agrees. Yeah, they're, they're talked into accommodating these weird people. Do they have a mayor or something? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It seems like they might need one because Michael O'Sullivan, look at him. Look at him. He's the captain of this town now. <laughs> <laughs> Unelected. Yeah. But benevolent. Exactly. Yeah. Finally, in engineering, BLT tells Janeway in Paris and the doc that they need to establish hollow hours. Hollow office hours are going to have to be the rule so as not to tax the system. And Janeway decides not to wipe the townsfolk's memories of the last few days. Yeah. Very nice. But, uh, yeah, they can't just leave this thing running willy-nilly. So they're going to have to do some, some fixes. And we cut back to the program, and everything seems to be going a lot better. The button on the episode is a shot of the town hotel and in one room, Harry Kim and Maggie O'Halloran are absolutely going nuts on each other. And then the camera pans to the next window and Janeway and Sullivan are in that room going absolutely nuts on each other as yeah. well. Yeah. It's never been hotter in Fairhaven. <laughs> and it's all because Janeway decided to uh, allow for their memories to remain. How about that? Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Silly as hell, right? Fairhaven. <laughs> A silly, silly place where silly Star Trek happens. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I like this more than the first Fairhaven episode because... It feels like something happened. The first Fairhaven episode felt very like, is Janeway going to be okay fucking a hollow person or not? And yeah. that didn't seem, those stakes didn't seem high enough for me. Things seemed a little worse here, but not not as bad as I would have liked them to be. Like, it would have been nice to light the kindling under Kim and Paris's feet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't like this episode. Oh. Oh, really? <laughs> I just could not But it's get... just a fair haven. Forget it, Ben. It's fair haven. Like, <laughs> like, how could you, how could you not like this? I, I don't know, man. I was like, I think I was thinking a lot about like the previous episode and all like the intense Borg shit that had just happened. And maybe this is yeah. like a palate cleanser episode or something, but I was just like, it is really hard for me to get it up for this no-stakes app after that. 
Do you think they thought about turning Michael Sullivan into kind of a Moriarty? Like, I agree with you that it's not a great episode. Like, clearly that is objectively true. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I wonder to what extent they, they knew that and defanged it in the way that it was for fear of maybe repeating that rhyme of like, oh no, is Janeway going to have to kill Michael Sullivan because he's Moriarty'd himself right. or whatever? Like what happens when you're in love with Moriarty? That's not a thing that happened in TNG, right? What happens when a Mintakin goes Moriarty? Yeah. Yeah. I think that could have really helped this episode is to just give like another click of tension in the yeah. Janeway-Michael Sullivan conflict. We should write Brian Fuller an email and see if he can account for some of these oversights. I'm sure he'd really appreciate unsolicited ideas. <laughs> but no writer is writing right now, Ben, because at the time of this record, writers and actors are still on strike, striking for for their way of life, really. Yeah, and for the future of mass entertainment. Yeah, if you want all of your television actors to be Michael Sullivan's, and I don't mean the actor who plays Michael Sullivan. I mean a, a holodeck character. That's really what the AMPTP want. Yeah. As a dark future. Fuck that. Fuck that shit. No, we don't want it. Yeah. Do not want. Yeah. Pay your actors and writers. Get it done. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there's anything we need to get done in the Priority One inbox? I am on my way. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. No shit. And it was chosen specifically for this episode. Okay. That message goes like this. Ben and Adam, I sit here thanking you both for the amazing work you do on this podcast. I wish she who is my wife would listen. But she never will. Because this is her favorite episode of Voyager. Oh, wow. She won't listen because this is her favorite episode of Voyager? She's worried we'll roast it too hard, I guess. Since she won't, I'll spend this promotional message to say thank you for all the laughs and helping keep us out of the sad corners of life. Thank you to True FODs. Sam and Brad from D.C. Whoa! For years ago, getting me hooked on this phenomenal podcast. (laughs) Keep up the good fight for mental health everywhere. Oh, yeah. This is a message from Jason G. from Milwaukee. Amazing. Who's got to be buddies from Sam, also from Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, any friend of theirs is a friend of ours for sure. Did we meet Jason G. at our Milwaukee show last year? Must have. Yeah. Yeah. Had to have done that. Yeah. Or at Sam's wedding. Yeah, maybe maybe there too. Uh, Well, Jason G., uh, if you just want to play this part of the episode, you can tell your wife that I fucking love this episode. It's my favorite episode of Star Trek also. Any FODs out there who believe their partner wouldn't enjoy our programming... I would say there's nothing stopping you from uh, setting up a subscription and and getting double downloads. Yeah. You know? That'd be great I think for double us. downloads would help quite a bit. Yeah. They're, they don't have to listen. Adam, our next Priority One message is from Peter, and it is to she who is my wife, Erin, goes like this. Happy early birthday, Erin. 
I had to spend a P1 to celebrate with one of the most fun Voyager apps, Space Irish 2.0. So many drunk Shimodas. I hope you have the best birthday and I love you so much. Adam and Ben, do you think Kim, Kim Drop. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Should have learned his lesson on Holodeck Girls after Morena. I don't remember who Morena is, but probably. <laughs> it's going to look up who that is. <laughs> oh, look at Morena. Morena was the the space station employee who was alone. Oh. Remember Morena? She was in a nebula on a station. My nebula. Right. And uh, she appeared as a as a hollow character in the resort program. Whatever happened to the resort program, by the way? They swapped it up for Fairhaven? How about you just make the resort program more interestinger than <laughs> than whatever this is? Yeah. That doesn't seem right. I think Peter brings up an interesting point here. Once bitten, twice shy mm. is how... Harry Kim should be, but no, he he gets right right back on the cow. That's what he does. Yes, <laughs> he does. And I think he always will. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point, Peter. Happy birthday, Aaron. Happy birthday, Aaron. And thanks to to the both of you for listening. Ben, our final priority one message is from Chris. It's to you and me. That message goes like this: Task for Ben. Please read the following as Kevin Uxbridge. Rashawn, baby, I am a man of special conscience. Now is Jesse Ventura. Oh, fuck. Okay, wait. Rashawn, I am the body. I'm a man of special conscience. What my theory presupposes is that Ben, Kevin, and Jesse are actually the same person. (laughs) Sounds great. I don't know. I feel like those were pretty distinct. Yeah. Like if if Chris were to ask for a Rolf and then a Jesse the Body Ventura <laughs> impression, then uh, maybe I would agree. But no, those uh-huh. sound distinct uh-huh. to me. Mmm. Love, love playing a nice out-of-tune piano. <laughs> <laughs> now do Rolf saying, I don't have time to bleed. <laughs> I don't have time to bleed. Now, yeah, they, they both sound... Identical. <laughs> Interesting theory, Chris. I love, I love playing a song about the Bilderberger group on an out-of-tune piano. <laughs> uh, if you have a special occasion to celebrate, or a theory to float, or uh, an impression to pimp, you can take it out over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where your P1s will be read by me and Ben, and they're a great way to support... All the work we do here at Uxbridge Shimoda. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Janeway. <laughs> For uh, choosing hollows before bros. Yeah, yeah. That was maybe the easiest Shimoda I've ever had to choose. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, Janeway? What the hell was I thinking? Bad Janeway season. I could not fucking believe it, man. (laughs) 
She should have been relieved of duty at that point. Like the second the doctor was in the grip of the hollow rabble, like yeah. Janeway should have just resigned right then and there. Like our only physician. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's my Shimoda as well. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. It's wild. Well, <laughs> let me uh, tell you a little something about the next episode of the show, Adam. It's season six, episode 18, Ashes to Ashes, hmm? which is uh, not a reference to something that happens at the end of Requiem for a Dream. Ash to Ash. <laughs> ash to Ash. <laughs> Claiming to be a long-dead crew member, an alien requests asylum on Voyager. Ben, I've gone over to the Game of Buttholes, the will of the caretaker, to check on the progress of our runabout. Currently, it pulsates on square 79. Nice. Nice. Three squares ahead, caught in the nebula, the No Notes episode. Wow. It's the only thing in range. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. But uh, as we've said before, everything is in range on this buggy, buggy game. <laughs> Here comes the roll. Ben, I've rolled a four. It's hopped us over the Caught in the Nebula No Notes episode. We're having notes. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. All right. I love notes. Because it's a regular old episode. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> We are second row from the top, man. It's been such a long time since we've been up here. I know. My ears just popped. We have a way of sliding. We do. Or bugging our way to other parts of the board. So we might just have a chance at a more hammered episode in the coming weeks. But uh, for now, ROE, regular old episode. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping here at the end of the show, Adam. First... Out with the old. You're fired. <laughs> oh! <laughs> the day before we leave for tour? Yeah, yeah. Just got to kind of freshen All things up. All of our travel's here. non-refundable. <laughs> but it's going to be fine for me. <laughs> Damn. No. Uh, all I mean to say is uh, little credits here at the end of the show. The, the people we need to thank most of all, the people who make this possible by supporting the show at MaximumFun.org slash join. The members, the true friends of DeSoto, who give us a little bit of money each month to keep this thing going. It should be said that the supporters of the show not only keep us going week to week and month to month, they also make tours possible. Tours are very expensive. Yeah, and uh, you don't know if you're going to make your money back, so it feels like a huge risk every time. Yeah. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. We also tremendously appreciate the folks who... Leave nice reviews on Apple Podcast or whatever the podcast app is that they use or talk about what they like about the show online. You know, just spreading the word helps a ton as well. Yeah. Boost us in the algorithm is the point. Yeah. Got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer and editor of this fine program. Wendy Pretty is great watching the shop while we're on the road. Yeah. Making sure these episodes get to you on time, every time. We're going to get back to our studios and uh, the saucer will be separated from the star drive section. We'll (laughs) not know how or why that happened. Yeah, yeah. She'll show us some previously on so that we can kind of catch ourselves up. Right. Got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy who runs the socials at Greatest Trek all over the internet. Got to thank Adam Ragusia who made the original 
Janeway song, the theme music of this show, and Dark Materia, who made the original song. Got to thank Ripley the Wheaton Terrier, who's up there giving Adam kisses right oh, now kisses on all camera. Over my face. Oh, oh. Blub, 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 blub. <laughs> First time on mic oh. is Ripley. Ripley. You can't hear me right now, but I love you. You know, if you're if you're out there on social media, use the hashtag Greatest Trek. Follow at Greatest Trek. Join the uh, Discord, drunkshmoto.com. Add something to the wiki at greatestgen.fandom.com. Oh, yeah, that wiki's great. A Reddit sub. Join one of the yeah. Facebook groups. There's great groups yeah. of people all over the place. Podshop.biz, where you get your merch for the show. Yeah. Greatestgentour.com is where you get your tickets to the tour or get P1s for the tour. And uh, we hope to see you at one of our shows in the coming weeks and months. Looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Adam claims to be a previous host of this show and would like asylum aboard. We're really at the point of the show where you know what the stories are about and I do not. (laughs) I don't remember this one at all. I can show I love you. You're a bad dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she knows. (laughs) Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported. Directly. By you.